Philippians 1, 8 through 10. Let me read that. It's coming on the, uh, on the hills of Brother Andrews. Um, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 8, it says, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus which delivered us from the wrath to come. So the message is, you can see it there, turning to God from idols. Um, I'll, I'll say we could also call this message just a... You, you can take a text and go different directions with it, but we could also call this message... Uh, the fruit of a true conversion, okay? If we're thinking about non-believers, or we could call it what every Christian needs to grow. And I mean that in a couple of different ways. Um, there are some um, fruit that we're going to talk about this morning, and it is essential that you have this if you're going to grow. It's also essential that if you do have it, that you grow it. Okay, so once we get to the fruit, you'll understand what I mean. So turning to God from idols. I've got a, I've got a little introduction here to read. A couple of years ago, I, um, I had a friend that wrote an introduction to, I don't even remember now what the topic was, um, who uh, the Lord had worked in his life and has continued to work in his life. And I got a decent amount of response from that. So I asked him if he would write me another one. And it's really more of a testimony uh, of what it has meant in his life to turn to God from idols. So I'm going to take a few minutes and read that. He says, and he's writing this with you specifically in mind. He knows who I'm, uh, who I'm reading this to. He says, I'm a sinner, and since I have a lot of experience with sin, I wanted to share some thoughts about sin that I have learned I began to willfully sin in a big way when I was going through a period of my life that was very unhappy and miserable. I began to think about my life and felt that I needed at least some pleasure and happiness. I didn't realize that God had me in that situation for a reason and a purpose. I began to look around and add to my life small things of pleasure that I thought hurt no one else. The further I walked away from God, the more sinful I became. I began to really enjoy myself and thought that no one would ever find out. But God tells us that what we do in darkness will come to the light, and what is said and done in secret will be revealed. What God is saying is that whenever you decide to willfully add secret sin to your life, you are eventually going to be exposed. That's not a maybe, it's a certainty. People will find out who you are, what you are, what you're doing. The further away from God I went, the less aware I became at how I and those I loved were being affected by my life. I was blinded by sin. I'm sure you've heard preachers speak about being enslaved to sin. Well, that's what happened to me, and it can happen to you as well. You become enslaved and imprisoned with actual bars. The bars are not iron, but they are strong, and they are able to hold you captive. The bars that were so strong for me 
were fear, shame, dismay, and isolation. While we're imprisoned, we can feel like victims and like nothing can ever be good again because the pleasures of sin are fleeting and they go away quickly. I rarely thought about God, never thought about how He felt as He saw me turn my back on Him. Have you ever loved someone very much and wanted to be close to them? You did everything you could for them, tried so hard to be close to them, but no matter what you did, they never paid attention and wanted nothing to do with you. If that's ever happened to you, do you remember how that hurt felt? We'll multiply that times a million. You might have an idea about how God is grieved over His rebellious children. The Scriptures say that He's grieved in His heart. We don't just make Him disappointed or sad. His heart actually hurts. God watched me walk away from Him, become blinded by sin, and take my place in Satan's prison. But when the time was right, He spoke to this blind prisoner. In a Sunday morning worship, my pastor began to preach as usual. I was set to enjoy the message, but this morning was different. As my pastor spoke, I began to feel uncomfortable. The more he spoke, the more uncomfortable I became, and soon every word spoken seemed to be directed toward me. It seemed that the message was especially designed for me, and it was painful. By the end, I was weeping, and I left here in the closing prayer so no one would see me cry. That powerful message stayed with me for days, making me miserable. When I was able to meet with my pastor, there was no comfort except for the fact that God had spoken to my hard, cold heart and opened my eyes to the world of sin that I had created. My heart and my world were torn apart. Many months went by with my pastor helping me as God spoke. I hurt and I shed many tears. It was torture for God to show me the person I really was. It was also torture to be shown all the blessings He had given me that I had destroyed. And then last but not least, it was torture to be shown all the hurt that I had caused to others. It's a long, tearful journey, painful journey back to God. The hurt and the pain are not over in a week or a month, but God who loves us with an everlasting love and is rich in mercy says to us, if you will humble yourself, even though you've hurt me and grieved my heart, I will forgive you and bless you. When I thought I couldn't go any further, God would give me a great blessing to refresh my spirit. When the time was right, He made a bargain with me out of Second Chronicles 7.14. Now, the bargain, you'll understand. He said, if you'll humble yourself, pray, seek my face, turn from your wicked ways, I'll forgive your sin and I'll heal your life. This is a wonderful promise, but once you embrace it, then comes the hard part. You must plan and execute the prison break. You must come out from behind the strong, confining bars and leave the inmates that you've made a life with behind. Satan, who's the warden of the prison, will not make your departure easy. Does this sound hard? It is. But God, who's rich in mercy, will give you the grace to do it. A reality that should encourage you to pursue this is knowing that God is a God of restoration. He can and will restore much that you have lost. Remember the prodigal son. He left his father, turned his back, and went away to find himself and enjoy life. He lost everything, found himself eating with the pigs, and came to himself. He left his prison and the bars that held him, and he started back to his father. And when the father saw him along the way, when he saw that he was serious about coming home, he began to bless him. He gave him a clean robe and a ring. 
When God sees that you're serious, He will help and bless you as well. My story sounds like a lot to go through. And if you don't want to experience that, then don't follow my example. Stay close to God. Now, this is a man who had professed faith before he went into this season that needed to be repented of in his life. When we think about what it means to turn to God from idols, as I said earlier, this can apply in a couple of different ways. It can apply as a believer, which is, or an unbeliever, which is the, the way Paul is using it here in Thessalonica. An unbeliever turns from the idolatry that they are immersed in back to God or to God for the first time in conversion. But brothers and sisters, if you just think about what the normal Christian life is, the normal Christian life, even after you're converted, is a series of turning from idols to God. And then turning again from idols to God. This is the pattern. This is really a a description, a picture of what it means to live a life that's marked by repentance and faith. Now, in this text, we're going to look at four realities because four realities are here. Paul says that um, as he uh, thinks about the witness that the Thessalonians had had and what was being uh, sounded out abroad about them uh, was that they had um, turned from God, or I'm sorry, turned from idols to the living God. Okay, so we're looking at repentance and faith. You see the the box over there to the right. But this turning from idols to God was so that they would serve the living God. Okay, you got obedience. And then to wait for His Son from heaven. Hope. So you can think through this message with just those words up there. Okay, repentance and faith, obedience and hope. Okay, repeat that with me. Repentance and faith, obedience, hope. One more time, just to flatter me. Okay, so if you lose track and you're thinking, what in the world is Brother Lewis talking about? Well, I'm talking about repentance and faith or obedience or hope. Okay, one of those things. All right, functional definitions. Now, this is very, very simplified. You can say a whole lot more about these, but you can't say less. So, what is repentance? Functional, that means the way you use it. Okay, what is repentance? Well, repentance is when you turn. Okay, repentance is when you turn. And we're going to look at these um, uh, a little closer as we, as we go on into the message. So, repentance is when you what? Yeah, you're going to need to remember that because I'm going to ask you that again. Faith is when you trust. Okay, and as Brother Andrew said, there's so many synonyms we could use here, but just for our purposes, faith is when you what? Yeah, you don't even have to memorize it. It's right up there. Obedience is when you act. It's something you're actually doing. Okay, so obedience is when you what? And then hope is when you expect. We say a confident expectation of that which is good, but it's an, it's an expectation. It's something that's not currently happening. So hope is when you what? Yeah, it's when you expect. So let's 
think about these, but we, it's, it's important we think about these in their context because this response, this response of turning you know, from idols to God in obedience and in hope all came in relation to the proclamation of the gospel. Okay, Paul goes and he's proclaiming the gospel, he's teaching, and we know, and Brother Andrew just said it, the gospel came to these saints in power. Okay, the word was received with joy of the Holy Spirit. And so as the Lord converts these people, as He, as he regenerates them, and, and, and as they um, come to Him, as Brother Andrew said earlier, the reason that Paul could be so confident that they were the elect of God was because when they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed, they responded in particular ways. These were ways that were observable. Uh, these were ways that Paul could, he could see, he could detect, he could discern. You know, every conversion doesn't look the same. But to some degree, in every conversion, the fruit of repentance and faith is going to be present. The fruit of obedience is going to be present. And the fruit of hope is going to be present. Now let me illustrate that in three ways. All right, In some ways, we could think about this like Jesus teaches about it. It's, it's like a little seed that's planted into the ground, and over time it grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. We're just thinking about fruit now. He talks about the kingdom this way. It grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. So, so when we're thinking about a, an initial conversion, the seed may be there, and it may be very, very small, but it's there. It's there. It may be difficult to discern, but it is discernible if you take the time to try to discern it. So it starts out small, it gets big. Um, secondly, you can think about this not just from conversion, but even with, throughout the whole Christian life. You think about it like an onion. You know how an onion has all the layers, right? You just keep peeling it back, and you can just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Well, when you think about repentance, repentance is really a multi-layered thing. Particularly whenever we're new to what it means to be walking with Jesus, many times we just think about repentance as, as behavioral only. That's fine. That's kind of the training wheels of it. But eventually, as you grow and your understanding from the Word deepens, you realize that repentance is really something that starts in the heart. And as you begin to um, try to discern what's going on in your heart, there is no end to the depth that you could continue to peel that back. Now, I say that for a couple of reasons. Number one, 
sometimes people just have a shallow idea of repentance. Um, you know, they say, "Woo, you know, Johnny cried when he got a spanking. Lord might be working. Well, no. <laughs> um, on the other side, you have people who have super sensitive consciences. Like, it's really, I'm saying the same thing Brother Andrew said earlier. The easy believism or the hard believism kind of a thing where um, it's, you know, I think the Lord might be working, but since his face is not shining yet, I'm just not comfortable saying this is a credible profession of faith. You know, since he's not fully Christ-like yet, I'm just not comfortable, or since I'm not. So it's an onion. You're going to keep going, keep going. Now, for that, I'll give you my last example here, last illustration. Um, my grandmother, my dad's mom, loved to knit. And one of the things she loved to knit was um, these little socks for us out of yarn when we were little. She eventually got to sweaters and stuff like that. And all of it was just not usable. It, we, it, we couldn't do anything with it. Um, and, and the reason we couldn't is because somehow, I'm not sure how, but somehow uh, my grandmother um, thought that all of her grandkids were the size of Goliath. <laughs> and so we would get these socks that, I mean, you could stretch them out and they'd be that big. And um, we, uh, you know, it'd be kind of fun to put them on and... and uh, so we called my grandmother uh, Tita. That means grandmother in, in Arabic, and, and she was Arabic. So we called them Tita socks, and we always knew when we got a new pair of Tita socks that they just went in the, in the trunk somewhere. There was no way those were going on our feet. We couldn't do anything with them. Well, then she, she, she did us a sweater one time, and, uh, and again, I, I kind of held it up, and it was just kind of like, what, what am I supposed to do with this? Um, and we would put them on to let her see us in them because she enjoyed that and she had taken the time to make it. And, and so you, I remember you put the sweater on or the socks on and they just feel so clunky. You could not function in those things. It was just uncomfortable. Well, you know, um, repentance, faith, obedience, hope, a lot of times can be like that big old Tita sweater. You put it on and it feels kind of clunky and you just kind of got to grow into it. Okay, you got to kind of figure out, how does this work? Hope. What does hope have to do with anything? Some of you may be thinking about that right now. What does that have to do with anything? Well, it's okay if you can't connect all those dots. This is something for you to grow into. Okay, what about repentance and faith? I just, I just feel like I'm just not there when it comes to repentance and faith and fully understanding. Well, that's okay. It's like those big old tits of socks. They feel kind of clunky. You don't really feel like you've mastered it just yet. By the way, if somebody's sitting there thinking, I've got repentance and faith down, you're probably not born again. Okay? So, so I, I, it, this is not something where we say, oh, yeah, hope, I got that. I forgot what hopelessness ever felt like. Or obedience? Pfft. You know, give me the advanced class. I'm over this. Okay, you're blind if that's what you're thinking, and I know probably none of you are thinking that. But these are things you grow into, so keep that in mind as we talk about it. All right, number one, repentance and faith. 
Repentance and faith. Paul says, when we saw you, these are basics of the Christian life. When we saw the way the Word came to you in power, the effect of, 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 that it had in your life was, number one, and this is really an umbrella type statement, you turned from idols or from sin to God. Now, I put these two in the same category because that's where they belong. There's no such thing as repentance without faith. And there's no such thing as an exercise of faith without repentance. Because if repentance is turning, and I'm going this way, right? Well, let me get out of the way of that. I'm going this way. I have to turn. Okay? So what if I'm headed towards sin here, and I turn towards sin here? Is that biblical repentance? I turned. How come it's not biblical repentance? I turned from, but what's the problem? You can talk. Sometimes I do this and people wonder, do I really want an answer? I do when I'm asking a question. I turned from, but what was the problem? I didn't turn to God. I left one idol for another. Right? Sometimes people can do this and, and you know, take this illustration for what it is. But sometimes people can do this. Um, well, I, th- this one will work. Uh, people who uh, are involved in substance abuse. Let's just say that you're, you're, um, you're a very heavy drinker and you're trying to turn from that. And so you say, I'm going to quit drinking and I'm going to start going to the gym. And you say, well, okay. Is it a sin to exercise? Yes or no? Is it a sin to look at exercise as if it's the transforming God in your life? Yeah. Yeah. So, I've got to turn from sin to Christ. Now, it's important for you to understand that, and and we're going to get a few more details in here. Uh, It's important for you to understand that because in so many circles, this whole idea of repentance and faith going together is not understood very well and false assurances are given. And then even more than that, shallow lives are lived because of misunderstood concept here. Repentance and faith go together. You you, You turn from, fill in the blank, to Christ. So it's a full turn. And it's just as important that you turn to, I should say it's more important, where you turn to than what you turn from. Does that make sense? All right, so I told you it was coming up again. Repentance is when you what? Yeah, it's when you turn. It's when you turn. Sometimes people confuse sorrow and, and repentance or conviction and and repentance. Like I said earlier, sometimes people think they're, they're repentant or somebody that they know is repentant uh, because they cry over something or because they're sad and it's genuine sadness because they're convicted over something. Who, as you think about conviction, it's important to know one of the Holy Spirit's jobs is to convict the world of sin, reprove, convict the world of sin. But when the Holy Spirit has convicted you, does that mean you've repented? Is that the same thing? It's not. It's not. A lot of people get those confused. Uh, Conviction is good. 
But one of the things that we learn from 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, is that sorrow, as far as you're trying to discern, sorrow by itself is just neutral. Uh, what I mean by that is, if you're, if you're trying to figure out, is this sorrow something that is attached to uh, repentance, or is this just, what is this? I used a silly example earlier of, well, Johnny cried when he got spanked, so the Lord must be working. Everybody here's cried when you got spanked, okay? Some of you guys are trying to look like you're tough and like you hadn't, but you have, okay? We all have, me included. The fact that I cried when I got spanked meant zero from a spiritual standpoint. That's normal. It meant my dad knew how to swing a bell. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 says there's two kinds of sorrow. There's this worldly sorrow that leads to death, and there's a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And so the question is, when we see sorrow or when we see what looks like conviction, where is that pressing me? What am I doing with that? Sometimes people get sorrowful or what we think looks like convicted over something and the only thing they can think about is, I can't believe this happened to me. I can't believe how difficult this is. I can't believe I'm having to pay this price. Even I can't believe how stupid I was when I did this. Consequences can be painful. Believer and unbeliever both can experience that. Okay, but for the believer, eventually, as the Holy Spirit is bringing sorrow and bringing conviction, the believer's not just saying, oh, I can't believe I was so stupid, I can't believe this, this happened to me. That's sorrow. That's still walking toward... Okay. Repentance says, I can't do this anymore, and I'm turning back to Christ, and I'm trusting Him and looking to Him for what I was looking for over here. Okay, I'm, I'm moving this way now. It's a turn. Okay, what about faith? We said what? Faith is when you trust. Faith is when you trust. Okay, Ephesians 2.8 lets us know that faith is a gift that's given by God. Okay, it's not anything you muster up. Romans 10.13-15 lets us know that faith is informed by Scripture, okay? Faith is what you trust. Now, the question is, how do you know what to trust? How are you going to know what to trust? And the answer is, God's given you an entire book. That's how you know what to trust. And we'll talk about this when we get to hope, because hope and faith are very close. But one of the problems that we can have is we end up... Um, trusting, putting our faith in, putting our trust in things that we have absolutely no business putting our faith and trust in, like outcomes, okay? things like this is just going to work out, um, trust that um, uh, people are going to change, trust that circumstances are going to change. Trust that things that are outside of our control, God will, will customize those for, uh, in a way that will make us happy. Okay, Faith is not uh, 
this deal where you just get to believe whatever you want to believe and hope that God's going to make it true or wish that God's going to make it true. Faith is rooted in a chapter and verse. It's rooted in what God has revealed. We trust God because He cannot lie. And our faith has to be built upon what God has revealed to us. So that being said, it's pretty, pretty easy to, to, to deduce this. If you're not into reading Scripture, your faith isn't growing. You say, wait a minute, that sounds judgmental. It is. Okay, it is. It is a, um, it is a discerning reality that if you're not into reading Scripture your faith's going to be pretty weak and pretty small because God's not in the business of sending you emails and text messages. God has said all that he's going to say in his word. And if you want to know what that is, if you want to be able to trust in his promises, you've got to actually read them and know them. So again, this is part of the, this is part of the Christian uh, walk, the Christian life. How do you know what to believe? How do you know what to trust? Because he's written it for you. And then Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, taking the shield of faith. Faith is exercised by the individual. It is a gift that's given by God, but faith is something that you're going to have to put some effort into. It's going to be something that you have to put some effort into. It is a disciplined heart and mind. It is an active mind as you're seeking to speak truth to yourself, as you're uh, seeking to lay hold of the promises of God. As you grow or as you seek to grow your faith, it's, it's something that is going to have to be intentional. You've got to be busy in it. It is like... Um, um, uh, physical exercise in the sense. It's a spiritual exercise. Sometimes people say, well, just have faith. In what? Or, I've maybe said this here before, it's not uncommon at all for me to hear somebody say, well, you know, I'm just trusting the Lord. And typically my follow-up question is, trusting Him to do what? What does that mean, I'm just trusting the Lord? Trusting Him for What? And you know, a lot of times people are trusting God for something that He never said He was going to do. Okay? That's the kind of life that, live, that, that leads to severe disappointment because it's not biblical faith. All right, we've got to keep going. Again, repentance and faith are a package deal. Okay? Mark 1, 15, um, uh, Jesus begins His, God, uh, begins his uh, uh, ministry... And uh, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Um, these uh, Repentance, faith, these things are a package deal. They come together. We've already said this. Uh, repentance and faith are both turning, turning from, turning to. Uh, but if we were to think about Mark one fifteen, the way that the, the, uh, the tenses are in the Greek, um, it's really be repenting and be believing. In other words, it's an ongoing thing. It's kind of like if we were to say breathe. I don't mean breathe for a second. Keep breathing. Keep breathing. Okay? Repentance and faith are really the, the breath of the Christian. You just, you, it's something you keep doing. Now, whether we like it or not, in the realm of your heart, 
Every time you turn from something, you're always turning to something else. And Jeremiah 2.13 is, is a good illustration of this where uh, the Lord says um, that He has two things against His people. Uh, they have turned from the living God. They have turned to wells that do not hold water, these leaky cisterns. So this is what the opposite of what we're talking about looks like. And it's what you're going to have to fight for the rest of your life. How many people here think idols are attractive? Yeah, your hands better go up or you're a liar. (laughs) If they weren't attractive, you wouldn't go after them. Okay, the truth is we love idols. We go toward them because they look like and they hold out the promise of comfort and and ease and, and whatever else that we're desiring. And so the the struggle is uh, not turning from God to idols. And then when we find that we have, you remember we said repentance and faith is kind of like the breath of the Christian life. That means you're going to be doing it all the time. Well, if you weren't turning toward idols, you'd have no reason to turn back to God. Okay, so Scripture just assumes this is an ongoing battle. And then we just talked about this in 1 Thessalonians 1.9. Uh, about how they did the opposite. They turned from their idols or those, those leaky cisterns back to God. Um, yeah, we've already mentioned this. Repentance and faith are an intentional, ongoing lifestyle, not a one-time event. Okay, so you've got repentance, faith, you have obedience. Obedience. And this really is, I mean, it says here it's the key to spiritual growth. If there is no obedience going on in your life, you are not growing. Um, spiritual growth is not some sort of a, a meditation, okay? Meditation can lead to spiritual growth, but until what's in your head and heart makes its way out into your life, you're not really actually growing. You're, you're, you, you do grow from the inside out, but the out eventually happens. So to be conformed to the image of Christ means that the Lord has given you a new heart, So that would lead to a God-honoring life that the man of God might be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Okay, we're talking about obedience. Notice this, out of 1 Thessalonians 1.3, Paul says, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus in the sight of um, God and our Father. So he remembers that Their faith was strong, their love was strong, their endurance was strong, but what you also notice is it was their work produced by faith, it's obedience, their labor produced by love, their endurance produced by hope. All of these we're talking about is in the realm of obedience. These are, this is what God has called me to do and my faith produced this and and my love produced moved me, motivated me in this area. And the hope that I have in Christ is what motivated me in this area. So it's, it's all pushing toward obedience. You know, sometimes people say things like, maybe you've heard this, um, you know, I'm just not much of a religious person, but I'm very spiritual. Anybody want to guess what that means? I'm not into doing things, but just take it from me. 
I'm spiritual. I'm deep, you know. Uh, that's a nonsensical statement, if you've ever heard that before. It d- doesn't mean anything. Uh, now, when we think about, you know, it depends on how the word religion is used. It can be used in a way that we would say, well, you know, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship, and all that stuff is true. But the, but the fact is, is that if you are walking with Christ, you are committing yourself to being uh, transformed into His likeness, which is, again, something that starts on the inside and works its way out. None of this stuff happens accidentally. Again, growth and obedience require intentionality. Uh, there are uh, times where, uh, so uh, most of you know or at least are familiar with me. Some of you may not be. Uh, I do a decent amount of uh, biblical counseling, so repentance and faith are a pretty common topic, and, and it is not uncommon for me to work with somebody on a repentance plan, and a repentance plan is where we're taking the specific sin that they need to be turning from, and we're coming up with specific steps as to how they can turn from it. So repentance is not some general thing because you don't sin in general. You sin in specifics. And so if you sin in specifics, then you must repent in specifics. So it's not just enough to say, I repent in some sort of a general way. Um, It's got to be specific. And honestly, it needs to be strategic. So if every time you drive by the liquor store, you're tempted to go guzzle down alcohol, you probably ought to take a different route. That's a strategy. Okay, so those kinds of things. All right, obedience. What is it? It's when you what? It's when you act, when you actually do something. Okay? Obedience is very important to God. God says it was more important to Him than sacrifice in 1 Samuel 15, 22 through 23. He also said disobedience was as a sin of witchcraft. Can you, can you imagine that? When's the last time you talked back to your parents and you thought it was no big deal? When's the last time you, you know, pick whatever little tiny, what you think is a tiny sin and thought it was no big deal? Okay, obedience is a big deal to God. It's a big deal to God. It's not a small thing. And sometimes, and it's, it, it, well, this is, you're too young to even know what this fad is, so let's keep moving. Um, obedience is the difference between the wise man or woman and the fool, Jesus says, um, and, and you can take those passages down and go look at them, but Jesus says, why do you call me Lord if you're not doing what I say? That seems like a pretty reasonable question, doesn't it? Why do you call me Lord if you're not doing what I say? Well, why am I, what's the point? Well, the point is God, Jesus takes obedience seriously. Why are you lying, he's saying. And then he says um, that he's going to liken a wise man as to someone who hears and does. And he's going to liken a foolish man as to someone who hears and does not, or hears and ignores. So, just to bring this into immediate application, I am thankful that you're here. 
And you may have thought to yourself as you were coming, it's going to be good for me to be able to hear all these messages. I hope it will be good, but there's a, real, there's a, there's a, there's a way to figure out if it's good or not. Both the wise and the foolish man heard. The foolish man may have sat under more sermons than the wise man. We, just, we don't know that. Of course, it's a made-up story here. But... but the foolish man heard, and then he walked away and did absolutely nothing with it. And his life, represented by the house, crumbled. 2 Corinthians 5.9, I use this passage a lot for, with myself and with other people. Um, and, and this is the portion I use, I have here in italics. I make it my aim to please Him. It's not translated that way in the KJV, but it's, uh, this is much more clear than what's there. I make it my aim to please Him. That's what Paul says. I make it my aim to please Him. There's a rhyme that's been developed from this, and I use it as well. You ought to, you ought to memorize it. This is just two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. That's applicable to every single decision you ever make. There really are just two choices. Just two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. You go home, your sibling begins to annoy you the way they always do, and you reach the point of decision. How am I going to respond? Well, there's just two choices, really. You're going to respond in a way that pleases God, or you're going to respond in a way that pleases self. You get ready to go to bed tonight, and whoever the poor soul is that's housing you says, it's time to go to sleep. Well, you got two choices. You can please yourself and ignore that, or you can please the Lord and obey. Okay? Now, there's bigger decisions to be made, but I'm just trying to help out whoever's hosting. All right, and then obedience, and we'll go through this fairly quickly. Obedience really is, it's the, I'm sorry, we've been in obedience. It's the path to transformation. God did not give you the Bible to simply inform your minds. He gave it to you to transform your life. He wants your mind to be renewed so that your life will be transformed. It's not just enough to change the way that you think. The way that you think is to transform the way that you act and live And that comes from a heart that believes. We could spend a whole lot of time there, but we will not. And if anybody wants this PowerPoint, I can can get it to you because we're moving through it pretty quickly. Hope. What is is hope? We've talked about repentance, faith, obedience, hope. Hope is when you do what? Yeah. You know, something that a lot of people don't think about is your expectations for the future will drastically affect your actions in the present. Your expectations for the future will drastically affect your actions in the present. You know, a lot of people are enslaved to sin because they just don't believe they could overcome it through the power of Christ. They don't expect that God will actually do what He says He will do. A lot of people just go about life as if it's always going to be the way that it is because they do not expect that Christ is really going to return one day, that there's really going to be a separation of the sheep and the goats one day. 
that one day those who are not covered in the blood of Christ will have the wrath of God poured on them. Well, the hope of Christ's return, according to Scripture, is a motivator for sanctification. Not just because you're scared, but because you're anticipating this unhindered relationship that's going to continue to grow and grow and grow and grow. Hope is the confident expectation that God will be and do everything He's ever promised. Titus 1-2, God who cannot lie. So when He says, I'm going to be with you, you can bank on it. Okay? We could also say it this way. Hope is to embrace the reality that God is at work in my current circumstances and will use them for my good and for His glory. Even the hard stuff. Part of the problem that the world we're living in right now is facing, particularly the, the culture that we're living in right now is facing, is we have, uh, when I say we, I'm talking about the culture. It's a culture that really lacks hope. It's a culture that's, that's putting their hopes in, in, in leaky wells that just aren't going aren't gonna to end up holding up. Statistically, there are... Uh, there are more people today diagnosed with like, clinical depression than ever. I think one of the last stats I saw was like one in three or one in four. Um, first, I don't really think that stat's true. Secondly, I think one of the reasons why we have such a difficult time with being sad is because our expectations are out of whack. You live in a sin-cursed world. And in a sin-cursed world, disappointment happens. And if we're expecting everything to go the way we want it to go while we're here, there's really no reason for Jesus to come back, is there? And so I could get off on a rabbit trail here, but, but, but the point I want to make is when you don't have a category for biblical hope in your heart and in your mind, there's no reason for you not to fall in line with that one in three or one in four. And sadly enough, there are plenty of professing Christians who do unnecessarily. Now, there, there are times where people struggle with legitimate struggles, and that's fine, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who find themselves in what they call a depression because their expectations that God never set have been violated or upset. Okay, here's, uh, here's, I know I'm running out of time. One reason for many of our disappointments in life is that we are so quick to place our hopes in things that God never guaranteed. Do you know you have no business putting your hope in something God didn't guarantee? You don't. And there's a lot that God hasn't guaranteed. I just want to be happy. Anything wrong with that? I don't think so. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I certainly can't expect that I'm going to go through my life always being happy. You know God's more concerned about you being holy than He is about you being happy? I want to be holy. Can I expect that one of these days God's going to complete that work in me? Yes, because He said He is. But He's probably going to hurt my feelings a few times along the way, which messes up the whole happiness thing. 
Another reason for many of our disappointments is a lack of faith in what God has said, which goes back to what we were saying earlier. Um, all right, let me bring this thing to a close. I've got some things in the, on this last slide about what biblical hope will fuel and what it does. And again, if you want to access the PowerPoint, happy to give it to you. The goal is, is a lifelong growing and exercising in these areas of the Christian life. That is, repentance and faith, obedience and hope. The strength of your walk with Christ will be determined by the amount of time and attention you spend in these three areas. Now, there's more for you to do, but this is a big umbrella that's going to cover you in any season of your walk. So, um, if you have any questions about that, feel free to come talk to me. We'll have the Q&A. Appreciate Heritage Church. Appreciate the work that's gone into this. And... um, This is always a joy. I thought about it more this time than I ever have, but I'm so thankful that most of you young people who have been coming for these 11 years, um, for a lot of you, you can't remember what it's like not to have this in the summer. And so I'm thankful that we have these kinds of things. Pray the Lord will continue to bless. Amen. Just a couple of things before we dismiss for lunch.